Welcome to America's Top Rebitons. May this class be for Rafua Shalema, for Gabriela Tova, Bat Naomi Lea, for Lior Tovia Benhaya Ashna, and also for Itzik Ben Bella. Please click the subscribe button to subscribe to us on the America's Top Rebitons YouTube page, or click follow to follow us on your podcasting app so that you are the first to know when an inspiring new episode is posted. I'm so happy to have on today's show, Rebbitz and Lisa Septimus. Rebbitz and Lisa is a Yoetzet Halacha of the Five Towns. She is a graduate of Nishmat's first U.S. Yoetz Halacha cohort and has worked as a Yoetzet since 2013. She holds a master's in Bible from Yeshiva University's Bernard Revel Graduate School, and she's also a graduate of the Stern College Graduate Program for Advanced Talmudic Studies. Rebbitz and Lisa teaches Judaic Studies at North Shore Hebrew Academy High School in Great Neck, New York, where she also serves as the Director of Special Programs. In her active role as the Rebbitzin of Young Israel of North Woodmere in New York, she's integrally involved with adult education and youth programming. It is really amazing that you have accomplished so much. And I want to see if you could please explain to us what is a Yoetzet Halacha? Okay, so a Yoetzet Halacha is a woman who is trained for more than two years, learns extensively the laws of Mida and Mikvah, um, and is not only learning the, the halachot involved, but also any area of health um, and wellness that is connected to it. So we, we learn from gynecologists, we learn from psychologists um, about breast cancer in order that when women call with questions relating, halachic questions relating to these areas, that we can best serve them. Uh, a lot, it's an area where a lot of women feel more comfortable talking to another woman for than sure. necessarily talking to their rabbi. That's for sure. That's amazing. It's amazing that 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 resource is available, that you're available to, for women to talk to, because, yeah, I can imagine it could be a little bit intimidating talking to a rabbi about this, these types of things. It's so intimate and personal. It, it is definitely, I mean, not almost a day doesn't go by where a woman doesn't say to me those words. I'm so happy to have a woman to speak to about this. And it's, you'd think I'm joking, but it's amazing how women still appreciate that. It's new enough that they still remember what it feels like without it. Right, right. It's true. Very true. Mm-hmm. Um, so as a Yoetzet Halacha of the five towns and also as a Rebbe of Mashul, you're a prominent leader in the community. And women know that they can turn to you to ask you a question that might be of an intimate nature that, as we said, that they would not feel comfortable asking a rabbi. And you're such a wonderful resource for them. You enable them to ask their question discreetly, woman to woman, because the truth is women understand each other much better than men do. So having a woman in this leadership role is vital to the community. Otherwise, important questions go unasked because women are just really embarrassed to ask them. And if the questions are unasked, they go unanswered. So can you please tell us more about the importance of having Jewish women in leadership roles such as this one? Okay. Um, So, you know, I've been thinking about this even more. It's, It's been on my mind all my life. You and I were talking for just a minute or two before we started the podcast. And I mentioned that I grew up in Westchester. You grew up in Westchester. And um, even though I never really saw women as leaders in the Jewish community when I was growing up, I felt that women were very well respected. And the rabbi of my shul growing up, Rabbi Rubinstein, 
um, who tragically he and his wife, uh, you know, were killed in a fire. But when we were growing up, he made, he made sure to learn with every single girl before her bat mitzvah. And he strongly encouraged every single girl to speak from the pulpit um, for her bat mitzvah. And that really helped those of us who were being raised in the shul feel like the shul was for us also. So even if you didn't see women as a leader and having a, a leadership position there, you definitely felt that there was a place for women and an important place. And I think that was a good first step. But I've been thinking recently, especially with COVID, having you know affected us in the many, many ways that it affected us. Yes. Uh, one, one lasting, long, when people talk about long COVID, one long COVID issue that the Jewish community is feeling is women's uh, absence from shul. Many women have come back, but a lot of women haven't come back. And therefore I've been thinking more about the importance of, of uh, female leadership. Yes. And how, how it can be that women will feel more connected and will see the shul and the Jewish community by extension as a place, as some place where they belong and have a strong place in. That's very, very important. And you're right. It's true. Um, even in my shul, you know, many women have returned. It's true. They have, but not everybody. So this is a very, very good point. Um, and today we're actually going to take a deeper look at this topic that's relevant for, for many women. Um, and as the, you're the Rebbitson of the Young Israel of North Woodmere Shul. So you really see this a lot with, you know, a large number of men returning to shul, but not so much the women, not even on Shabbos, unfortunately. And often women just send their husbands and their children to enjoy the morning services, but they stay at home. And I just want to talk a little bit more about this. Why do you think that women don't often go to shul? Um. Um, first of all, on a, on a basic level, we grow up in the Orthodox community, seeing that men have different obligations than women do. Women are exempt from mitzvot asay grama, positive time-bound commandments. And one of the things women are exempt from is participating in a, in a minion. Right. Now, in many schools, though, when girls, especially if you're in a co-ed school, when, when girls are go- growing up, they're, they're participating in, meaning they're going to tefillah just as often as the boys are. But they're aware of that difference. And even, even women who go to shul often come a little later, there's a, they have a different relationship with the, with the shul experience. Um, so I think a lot of women are staying home for a few different reasons. They may feel they're entitled to. It's optional for them. Right. Um, they, may, they may have stayed home, especially during COVID, and enjoyed it. Felt like they're <laughs> relaxing. You know, a lot of women today are very busy. Yeah. They are balancing a lot. They are around their children more than their husbands are. And during COVID, they were really around their children even more. Yes. 
So perhaps rather than another to do something else on their to-do list, this becomes an opportunity to send the kids and the husband somewhere and have a few minutes to yourself. Um, and I think one other thing is that women have not, they, they haven't necessarily put as much value into their spirituality, especially, especially I think certain women who are very busy and are juggling a lot, their, their spiritual religious life has taken a bit of a back seat yes. for the moment. I agree. I agree. So how, like, and you see, you really see, because you're the Rebbitson of the shul, so you, you're really at shul quite often, so you can really see the disparity. You have tons of men, and the women's section is not as full. Right. So, so what are some of the different ways that women can really connect better to the shul experience and also to each other and to their community so maybe they might feel more motivated to come to shul? Okay. Um, so first of all, I want to say that I don't have all the answers. And I'd love to also, you know, hear from you, Vera, and, um, and, and maybe we can learn from each other. Sure. But I've been thinking about a few different pieces to it. So number one, logistics, making sure that the shul experience and setup is comfortable for women. Um, so a lot of, you know, I know that um, in my neighborhood, a lot of new shuls popped up in recent years. And usually when they pop up, there isn't really even a proper women's section. It's somewhere like, if it exists at all, it's in the back. And they don't necessarily expect women to show up. So if a woman were to show up, it's like a little awkward. And is there room? And where? Um, the, and also because we, because there have been so few women of really young children, I can't think of any shul right now in my neighborhood that has a proper nursing room. Um, there are play groups in certain shuls, but there are not necessarily play groups in, in most shuls. There's not always the space for it. And if there is, are they serving the, the youngest of those children, the ones who really need watching? So those, so just having the space for women. And when and you think about the space for women, you have to think about the full range of ages. And that includes young mothers who have their own unique needs. Yes, for sure. I know, and I'm saying this to myself as well as a Rebbitson, when things were easing up a bit with COVID, we tried to woo back women by creating something called coffee and Kedusha. Oh, I like that. Okay. And yeah, we set up a table with hot water, coffee, like danishes or muffins every week. We opened up the playroom and we figured maybe women would come if they could kind of have a cup of coffee and watch their kids. And then maybe when things were a little easier, catch a few minutes of Kedusha or Shul or something, it would be uh, easier for them to access. Now, I know that I have, um, the past few weeks, I felt very discouraged because despite 
despite bringing this initiative to the shul, it didn't bring back that many women. Oh, I'm sorry. It so, sounds really great. If I were there, I would definitely go. It sounds really interesting <laughs> to me. Thank you. And it's, it's complicated. Why? I think there are a number of factors. First of all, I wonder if we tried too early because mm. we were still in the middle of COVID craziness and, mm-hmm. and, and waves and all that. Um, I think there, some of the women, their husbands were still going to kind of pop up minions. And so they didn't necessarily want to come when their husband wasn't coming. Right. That that was a little challenging. And uh, some others maybe need a little bit more of a push, a little, a little personal invitation. So I think we do need to commit to that again. Yes. And also figure out like, you know, maybe there's even something logistically that can help make that a better experience. Maybe we didn't do it completely right. So um, talking it with you is like putting the lighting the fire under me to get it started again. But that that's the logistics category, making sure it's comfortable. You began this conversation with asking me about female leadership. Yes. And I think that finding ways to um, either create female leadership in in shuls or at least in programming within the shul is important so that I think women will feel connected when they see someone similar to them. They'll see they'll, they'll feel that they have a place. They'll be curious to hear women. If, if you know, there's a woman speaking one week, if you know, there's uh, and it doesn't have to be in a rabbinic way. The woman could be giving the appeal. The woman could like, there are ways to involve women for wherever your shul's comfort level is. I totally agree. Um, so leadership, you know, some shuls, uh, female leadership means a yoetzet halacha. And maybe you even have a yoetzet, but have you given it enough space and prominence, right. the, the position and the woman to, to have opportunities to, to speak, to engage. Um, so I, I think creating space for female leadership and opportunities for those women in leadership to, to kind of contribute and, and have a presence is another ingredient. I really like that. I really like that. And I think that makes a lot of sense because if a woman is speaking or if a woman is leading an event or something, her friends will be encouraged to come. Other women will be encouraged to come. It's, you know, like I was saying earlier about the Yoetz at Halacha, like women tend to bond more with women. Not that they can't, you know, socialize and ask questions of men. It's not that, but women just tend to gravitate more to each other. So if there's like really a specifically a women's event, more women, women will be encouraged to go. I think that's right. I think it's right on target. Right. Yeah. It's interesting when you say when there's specifically a women's event, because this is always um, something I'm conflicted about because having, having sometimes experienced feeling closed out of men's events, right. If there was learning that I wanted to be part of, I, I sometimes question when I create a women's event, am I shutting out the men? Is that really uh, fair? Okay. Mm-hmm. But I actually think that 
at this time. We can worry about that when all the women are back in shore. Right. Okay. We can, we can worry about that when we have full participation and engage and, and religious and spiritual engagement of all the women in our community. Then we can worry about, you know, making sure that men have enough, like have an opportunity. But I think right now um, what we're seeing is somehow if you do an event and it's just general, it's for everyone. um, It doesn't bring out the women in large numbers. So to bring out the women, you have to create spaces and events that are just for women. And in the future, that might change, but it's not where we're at right now. I totally agree. Yes. Yeah. Um, So that, I think, leads to number three. We have logistics, leadership. And the third piece, when we talk about creating space just for women, so shul inherently will never be that. Your, Your typical Shabbos morning. And I think we have to make an effort to make shul more appealing, more comfortable, Um, and encourage women to come, but we also have to create another, outside of Shabbos morning shul experience, another avenue for women to find spiritual religious connection through the shul. In other words, a weekly or monthly program opportunity that is for women gathering that is not about Shabbos morning davening, because obviously what a lot of women are saying is it's not doing it for me, Shabbos morning davening. So we have to find out what does excite them. What does make women feel connected? Yes. Um, Yeah. So I, I, um, and like you said, women like to talk to other women. I think that something that is not, you know, um, a spectator event, but is really engaging and involved and like interactive, some sort of learning program or, or some other program, uh, get creative. Uh, but, but that is not where women come and are just listening, where they are really engaging. Right. So it's interesting that you say that because um, my shul has a program. It's called it's called Ruach. Like that's the name of the program. And um, it, it invites speakers, okay, male speakers, female speakers and women come. It's a lunch and learn program. And it's really I, I went yesterday. So it was an interactive program. You can really engage with the speaker. It's not just about Shabbos morning davening. They have all different topics. And it's really it's really interesting because women can really go. This is every single Wednesday. So you really have four topics a month to choose from. So women can wow. go and listen to and participate in the topic of their choice. Sometimes there are cooking demonstrations. Sometimes uh, somebody will come and speak about spirituality. Sometimes it's a, on the more intellectual side of Judaism, maybe on Talmud or something like that. It's really all a variety of different topics and that's one way to get women involved that sounds great yes yeah. <laughs> um and also shabbos morning you know what um i know that you were asking me for, for my opinion earlier and really this is just just really it's my opinion based on my own experience nobody has to agree with it at all i'm just putting it out there for whatever it's worth a lot of times on shabbos morning I, like you said, women spend so much time with their children and they are just tired like really legitimately legitimately tired 
and they kind of want their husbands just please take the kids and give me this two hours, three hours, an hour and a half, whatever you could give me, just I'll take it. Right. Maybe I can sleep a little bit later. Maybe I can have a coffee and read the Jewish press or whatever newspaper mm-hmm. you're going to read, you know, mm-hmm. or just just time to themselves, which I completely understand because we work so hard. Some of us work outside of the house, some of us inside of the house with kids, with our husbands, with the house. There's just there's a lot going on and we need that time and space. And other times before COVID, I know that, you know, if women didn't go to the shul services uh, in the morning, they would at least come for Kiddush. You know, this way right. they could see other women and socialize. But I have to say something. I do have to say something about Kiddush. We just recently brought Kiddush back to our shul. And a lot of synagogues don't have that yet. So, yes, I do think that food is a big draw. But I and I have to say something just about the Kiddush. At least in my shul, it's it's Kugel and it's Chaland. Nothing wrong with Kugel and Chaland. Beautiful. Like, amazing. I don't know if women are attracted to Kugel and Chaland. Um, I personally am not. This is just my personal opinion. If you said maybe... Um, salad and sushi. I know sushi is expensive. You can't have sushi all the time, but maybe salad and something else, maybe wraps, maybe an assortment of salads, Israeli salad, a Caesar salad. I I don't know, but something maybe on the lighter side, something on the healthier side, maybe that would draw more women, at least just to come back for the kiddish part of the shul. Because I noticed even in my shul, women, if they're there during shul, they'll come down to kiddish, but they're not really just coming for kiddish anymore. Right, right. Yeah, I had so, to say that. yes, women women never came to Kiddush to eat. Right. They came they came to Kiddush to socialize. Yes. Um yeah, it's interesting. Um I have I've also thought about it. Like why don't we get creative with Kiddush? Right. Food. Yes. But people seem so resistant to it. They want their traditional foods. It's very hard to break you know, where well, it's hard to break the men of the hat. Right. Like, well, and I'm not saying to get rid of the, the, the Kugel and Chalent. Please don't understand. I misunderstand. I, you right. know, for men, for sure, the Kugel and Chalent, you know, definitely keep that. But maybe add a little something else for women. And I get that Kiddush is expensive. I, I get it. I'm not trying to raise synagogue costs or anything like that. But just a little something other than just Kugel and Chalent. Right. <laughs> you know what? That you're you're right. And I think that's kind of what I had in mind with that coffee and Kedusha. Yes. But maybe it's got to be a little bit, we got to step it up. <laughs> yes. Yes. That's a good way to look at it. Yes. <laughs> you know, and, and I have no excuse because, Hey, we live in the five towns. So, I mean, we could be getting special flavored iced coffees and whatnot. <laughs> you are so lucky. There's everything there, everything there. You're yeah. really lucky uh-huh. to have a lot of resources there. Amazing. Yes. Before I moved there, it was described to me as Disney World for Orthodox Jews. Right. That's <laughs> true. Just good and bad. But yes. Um, yeah. So um, I, I wanted to say something about, uh, you know, I why like why should women push themselves even if yes. women are if women are kind of having this difficult week. And they need time to relax. Why can't, what, what, why are you and I talking about this? Why not just say, let it be, let them have their space. Let them relax. Is anything falling apart? The world's not falling apart, right? True. So I I was thinking about this um, with Megillat Esther, actually, because we have, you know, the timing is perfect. First of all, the timing is so interesting because this Shabbos is Parshat Zachor. 
So all the women who haven't been back will probably be back this Shabbos. Oh, amazing. Because uh, they come to hear, they come to hear their obligation in, in uh, Zachor at Amalek. And, um, and then they also will be coming for Megillah reading. So the women's sections of shuls will be feeling very full over the next week, which is nice. Yes. And a good way to mark and to commemorate Esther and her role in saving the Jewish people. But you know what's interesting is Esther almost didn't do it. Esther almost stayed at home to have her coffee and read the Jewish press, right? <laughs> yes. I mean, you know, basically when it, Mordechai really had to, to push her because when Mordechai told her what's going on and the, the Jews were in danger, Esther was nervous and she said, mm, you know, the, it's dangerous to call upon the king if he hasn't called upon you. It's not something that I can do just because I live in the, in the palace. And Mordechai says to her that, that you have to take action. If you don't take action, the Jews will be saved from somewhere else, but not like your house will go down, will be destroyed. And it doesn't really make sense what he's saying, if you think about it. Because number one, does he need her help or not? The, you know, you're telling Esther that you need her to do something. And then you're saying, but it'll happen anyway. Right. And, and also you're saying that, it, and yet it, it's going to happen and the Jews will be saved, but you're going to be destroyed. But why would she be the one to be, you know, why would her house be destroyed? She's the one that's most likely to be safe as the queen. So, I mean, there are many different interpretations one can take, but what I think Mordechai is trying to tell her is two things. Number one, you know, this is meant to be, but you're meant to be a part of it. And maybe Esther, you're failing to sort of see your destiny. You're failing to see what you what, what this can offer you, what you can be, how you can be part of an, an important episode in Jewish history, how you can have the opportunity to save the Jewish people. Yes. yes, they might be saved by someone else, but it's supposed to be you. It's supposed to be your destiny. And don't miss that opportunity. And then when he says, if it's someone else, you will be destroyed Rather than take that literally, maybe what he's communicating is if you don't take the opportunity, you don't even realize what you're missing. Wow. You're missing this piece of yourself. You're missing this opportunity to see yourself realized. And when you first reached out to me, Vera, it's, fun, it's interesting you said to me that you feel like you found a calling. Yes. And um, I was talking to a friend, um, you know, in anticipation of this, who was telling me like she really hasn't, uh, she is going to shul, I believe, but 
for her, her spiritual seeking and her spiritual fulfillment is through learning Torah. And right now she's not actually been able to tap into that. But what I found powerful about both her and you is in essence, you already know where you find spiritual fulfillment and how to find it. And so now it's just about making it happen. Yes. And how to make, how to make it happen. But I think that there's so many women and men, I don't want to leave the men out. I don't think it's so simple for them. It's too much to handle in one podcast. (laughs) But I think that there are so many women who don't yet, haven't figured out what their mission is, what their, how they are finding meaning in life. Yes. And how they are finding spiritual nourishment. I totally agree. And fulfillment. And I think like Mordechai is saying to Esther, every, nothing's going to fall apart if you don't find that. Nothing's going to fall apart and everything's going to be okay. And the shuls will continue and Jewish families will continue. But you have a destiny. You have a mission. And, every, and, and, you're, and you should grab the opportunity to find it. Don't be okay with just passing through time. Be on, be on a mission for your life and let that include your spiritual and religious mission. I love that. That's what I'm all about, especially with this podcast. It's exactly what I'm all about. And I agree that if more people really found their purpose in life, they found meaning in life, it would also bring them joy and happiness and elevated levels of spirituality. hundred percent, hundred percent. And I, and I, and, and, and that's like, again, what it, what it, what does it mean for her to be lost at the end? It's just, you're missing out on joys and, and meaning that you don't realize you can have. Yes. So again, it may not be for everyone Shabbos morning davening. In fact, I suspect that that is way too limited to be the it for any woman. hundred percent. It's, it's only one tiny piece, but it's the reason I think that we started the conversation around it is that the shul is at the center of Jewish life for families. Yes. You have school and shul, Mm -hmm. but you should really invest in shul because first of all, one day you won't have school, right? Kids will get older for many women, hopefully listening to this, your kids already are older, or maybe you don't have children. Maybe you're single, not school is your center. For the years when you're either there as a student or your children are there as students. True. But, but shul will, is supposed to run the, the entire gamut of your life. Yes, I agree. And it's only a starting point. But if it's at the center of Jewish community, then it's an important place to be and to feel a part of. It will help anchor you to then find other ways and other pieces of meaning. hundred percent. You hit the nail right on the head, right on target. I love it. I love it. Um, we only have a few minutes left, but I do want to ask you this last really important question. 
And um, I mean, women are social beings by nature, as we talked about. We want to have a close group of friends, people to talk with, to spend time with, to share both our happy times and also our more challenging times with. We, I mean, we really, really do want this. Um, but it's interesting, though, because something that I've heard people say that it's much harder to make new friends once you're an adult and out of college. It's not as easy to meet new people and make new friends as an adult as it was when we were children. And even if you have kids that go to the same school, if you're a working mom and you have to be at the office by such and such time, you're putting your kids on a bus. You're not seeing other moms at drop off. You're not seeing them at pickup. And it's not so simple. You know, we're all super busy with our husbands, with our kids, with work. Um, there isn't much time to socialize. And when we do have time to socialize, we may look around and find that we don't have anyone to socialize with. So how can we as adult women develop new and meaningful relationships? Wow, that is an interesting question and tough and something that um, I think about a lot um, because first of all, I often see women searching for that yeah. around me. Mm -hmm. I often question for myself because I'm so busy. I'm sometimes conflicted. I have to be honest with how much time I can even give right. newer friendships. Yes. Um, I, I, I love people, um, and I'm really, really blessed to still be very close with my childhood friends. And I have a lot of other, I have a lot of other connections that, that, that I've made in recent years, but I don't have that same chevra yes. that you may have in, in high school, in my adult life. I'm also a Rebbitzin, so that also, that can be tough, but um, so how do you develop that? Number one, I think shul is an anchor for developing that for many people. I know that um, it's hard because like there were, there are young women in our, th that's why I, that's one reason I encourage all women to come back to shul. First of all, I know that there are young women who have moved in and show up in shul and then there aren't other women. And like, how are they meeting? Um, it's really challenging. Um, so just, just showing up and being present and opening up to opportunities, that, that is one way. Uh, um, getting involved in, and getting involved in specific activities within your shul or within your school is another way to meet people. And hopefully meet people who, you know, are, let's say you're a doer, are interested in contributing and doing like you are. Um, I know we've started book clubs. Oh, that's, that's a way to meet someone. I know it sounded like something like your mom did many <laughs> years ago, but like a lot of, you know, a lot of younger women are joining book clubs and it's amazing. Um, so I, I think those are, I, I think some people meet on their own, but the, com but the community structure can be um, an opportunity, can lend itself to opportunities for women to meet. And again, the more, all the things we spoke about before, getting women to shul, creating the proper um, logistics. Yes. So if you have a playroom set up and all oh, the women right. kind of gather there nice. and maybe meet each other, nice. if you have, and by the way, you, you, 
create, even let's say you have women who are relocating. We've had uh, two families move in recently. Their kids are totally grown. So you have to identify what might be the needs of those women and how do they meet. Um, maybe creating a mahjong game in the shul. Oh, yeah. You never, like, whatever it is. And, and if, by the way, and if you're the woman who, and that sh- and your shul isn't offering that, so bring it up. Ask right. if you could help run it. Right. Sometimes if the structure isn't there, you have to create it. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I also have one other idea that, that I did um, that I'd like to share. Please. Um, so we just moved to New Rochelle. Uh, we moved in 2015. So five, seven years ago. Okay. So we're not brand new, but we're not, you know, we haven't been here for 20 years. You know, when I first moved in, I, I tend to be a shy person by nature. It really does take me a very long time to open up to people. So I'm not the one who's going to come to shul and just introduce myself to the whole room of people and be everybody's best friend that first minute I walk in. I'm really, you know, I, I'm a nice person, and a good person, but I'm just very, very shy. So it's hard for people to get to know me. So what I did when I moved into my community, um, I was given a shul directory. I opened the shul directory and I literally invited every single person to Shabbos, not all at once. Every Shabbos, I hosted every Shabbos. Whoa. I did. And now, so I went to the directory, but now new people are moving in. So we get an email, such and such new family okay, moved in. Okay, Vera, that is <laughs> wild. It was the only way I could figure out how to meet people and make friends because I wasn't going to go up is, to them. That is amazing that you did that. But I want to say that for those listening, I'm going to flip it and really the opposite should be happening. That everyone, when a new person moves in, wouldn't it be nice if almost everyone reached out to that new person? That would be awesome. So shuls need to have welcoming committees. Mm -hmm. They need to invite. Um, Also, like, I know we have a welcoming chat. And sometimes you get a feel like, okay, this person, they have kids in this age category, or they seem like this type religiously or whatever it is. And you try to pair them up and try to just create meal opportunities. Sharing a meal is definitely a great way for people to get to know each other. A hundred percent. And it was really, you know, my husband and I um, host a lot, but COVID, like yes. we stopped, all of a sudden we stopped hosting. Yes. And then we started again and we are hosting, but we're not back to the point where we were. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like our whole, our family changed and everything changed our expectations, but it is important. I think for, you know, a rabbi in Rebbitson when they can to host and to help make connections and more if they can't, or even if they can to, to help create committees that making sure other people are doing that. Right. It's a hundred percent. I think, um, yeah, I really do think it's a great strategy because as we were saying earlier, a lot of women work during the week. So, you know, so even if you're, you're at home and you can go out with your friend for a cup of coffee at 10 o'clock in the morning, a woman who's like out in the office or, you know, doing something, even if she's working from home, like, you know, on the computer, mm-hmm. she can't do that. She doesn't have that flexibility. So I found when I was living in a different community in Westchester, I have a, I had, you know, friends who had, were in this situation and the only time we were able to get together was Shabbos. So that's right. when I was able to have them over and interact with them and socialize with them. 
And, you know, when I moved to this community, this was the way that I made friends. You know, listen, you're not going to be best friends with every single person that's going to come to your Shabbos mm-hmm. table. And that's really not the point. A lot of times people meet each other at your Shabbos table. So even if they don't end up being friends with you, wow, I just met a new person, a new friend right. at Birek has a Shabbos table, you know, right. and it's, it's fun and it's really interesting. And um, I have to say, you know, if you invite a couple of families, the party runs itself, you know, mm-hmm. you don't have to stand there and, you know, be the hostess with the most you can just really sit back. And honestly, a lot of times I'm in the kitchen. I see, you know, I said, I'm very shy, but uh, so a lot of times the party just, just runs itself and you get to meet new people and it's, you do get to click with some of them and you really can make friends that way. So, um, you know, I really know that a lot of people are searching for ways to make friends as adults. And really this is, you know, listen, you don't have to invite a lot of people, even if you invited two families, that's a really good way to start, you know, and then who knows, maybe you can invite three or four, but two families is a really, really great way to start. And not only will you meet new people, but you'll be reaching out to somebody because you don't know when you extend a Shabbos invitation, that other person might be lonely. That other person might really yeah. be wanting that Shabbos interaction yeah. and nobody's reached out to them until you've sent them that email. So it really, mm-hmm. it, it is a two-way street. It really goes both ways. Okay. Yes. Okay. So thank, thank you so much, Rebbitz and Lisa, for joining us on America's Top Rebbitzins. May this class be for Rafua Shalema, for Lior Tovia Ben Haya Ashnak, for Itzik Ben Bella, and also for Gabriela Tova, Bat Naomi Leah. Thank you so, so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Great to talk to you. Thank you.